connect, engage, change. This is 702. This is 702. For the curious. 24 minutes ago before we get to 11 o'clock. Up next, a very important conversation that we're having. And it's something that we've sort of forgotten about uh, in light of, uh, you know, coronavirus and all concerns related to COVID-19. But something equally as important, something that's, you know, still looming in the background and looming heavily in the background. And that is the fact that uh, global global climate change is a reality and it is here with us. And I think even now, at this very moment, as we speak to each other, one thing that's very strange is if you look at the amount of rainfall that we've had, despite the fact that it's March and technically um, that we've entered our autumn, that it's still reasonably... I mean, the kids went for a swim yesterday, you know? Uh, not went for a swim, okay. <laughs> I'm not going to say too much, but the kids swam yesterday. Um, and then very comfortably at that. So what is going on? And we had a severe thunderstorm after that. Um, and, and what is actually going on? And uh, this this notion of a dust bowl uh, or dust bowl rather impending. And Dr. Alison Hanlon um, is going to join us on the line and discuss that with us at the moment. Good evening, Doctor, and thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. Great stuff. So, Doctor, I mean, on that basis, uh, you know, when, when people like myself do say that we, I, I at least feel that I'm noticing some form of global climate change. Am I, am I wrong? Am I being alarmist? Am I being... Um, you know, someone that is uh, seeing the boogeyman that's not there necessarily? Um, no, <laughs> definitely not. Um, it is, you know, to some extent, it's, it's difficult to attribute any one particular day or one particular storm to, to climate change. Um, but in terms of like a general trend towards formal weather, uh, for the most part, um, changes in rainfall patterns. Some places that means less rainfall, some places that means more, but in, you know, fewer instances, uh, that has, those changes have already started to happen. And I mean, that for me is is something that already should tell us that it's something that we should be uh, focusing on as a human species and that we need to start uh, taking certain measures, that we need to start um, applying ourselves, for lack of a better term, and making sure that, uh, you know, we prevent this thing, this, this wholesale uh, change in climate, wholesale change in what the planet looks like, what the makeup of the planet is, at least atmospherically. Uh, because ultimately, you, you know, apart from all the species and the plants that we could lose in the process, we are really the ones at risk here. Uh, absolutely. Um, so there's, there's certainly you know, far-reaching consequences to changes in the global climate. Um, a lot of it, as you mentioned, is in terms of of the species on the planet. We've already lost large amounts of biodiversity in, in insects, but also in our oceans, um, effects on the coral, and then also effects on, on mammals like us. Mm. Um, so those, those are, are certainly already happening. Um, but the effects will also be felt uh, very much so by people in terms of extreme weather, uh, but then also in through some some intermediaries, the way that we rely on the planet. So through changes in agriculture, in our food security, um, based on changes to rainfall patterns, changes in temperature, um, loss of of. Um, some of the health of our oceans, which will threaten the livelihoods of, of people who depend on on seafood. Um, so there's a lot of 
a lot of different avenues that, that climate change can affect people through, um, directly through the actual weather that you mm. experience, but then also, you know, we, we're, we're dependent on the planet for a far-ranging amount of things that will also affect us. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the Dust Bowl, because this is something that, I mean, it happened almost 100 years ago. Um, and I think that there's many people, at least 90 years ago, and there's a lot of people who haven't lived that long, uh, uh, some who've never been to the United States of America, some of, who, uh, some of us who have never read up on U.S. history and might be unaware of what the Dust Bowl is. So do tell us a little bit about what that particular period was uh, in, in American history and, and why it is relevant for us today. Sure. Uh, so the, the Dust Bowl happened in the 1930s in the Great Plains of basically all of North America. The Great Plains go into Canada, uh, but the, the hardest hit was in the United States. So it was caused by a few different things all mm-hmm. coming together. So there were large-scale drought conditions over many years, uh, so a few different, about three different droughts, um, in the 1930s, there was also high temperatures at the same time um, and some unsustainable farming practices at the time uh, that led to really, um, really extreme impact on agriculture. And this is a main producing region in the U.S. It grows a lot of wheat, not of corn. Um, so the production of those two crops, mm. uh, which are the, the main the main crops grown in that in that region in the plains, uh, dropped substantially. Uh, so wheat production dropped at the the peak year by thirty six percent over the the prior um, kind of baseline period, the, mm-hmm. the prior ten years. Um, and then maize or corn production uh, dropped almost fifty percent. Uh, and it wasn't just in one year, though, because this was a long scale, a, a large scale, uh, long term drought. Uh, there are four or five years in a row with this level of production decline. So it had a lot of impacts on food production in the U.S., of course, mm-hmm. uh, but it also changed the landscape of that region uh, with a lot of out migration from those states that were affected. Uh, they experienced net population losses over the that decade, the 1930s. But then even going forward through most of the 20th century, within those states, the, the rural to urban population shifted. So people either left the states entirely or they moved from rural areas after they completely lost their farms uh, into the, the urban centers. Mm-hmm. And I mean, ultimately, this was obviously something that happened, uh, as I said, 90 years ago. It happened within a particular region. But uh, I think that region, and then we'll talk about the extrapolation and what that ultimately means more broadly. But in terms of the impact felt by those particular people, what was that impact? How did it impact on them, apart from the fact that, uh, you know, there was plenty of tumbleweed and dust in the air and it was pretty uncomfortable, I guess? Uh, you know, you had yeah, to constantly so dust down the um, furniture. But, I mean, beyond having to dust down the furniture, what was the issue ultimately there for them? 
Yeah, well, the, the level of dust was definitely more than dust on your furniture. It was more burying entire buildings. That's the, the extent of loose topsoil that we're talking about. Um, so entire houses ended up under underground now. Um, and the dust from that region traveled across the U.S. to states, you know, as far as the East Coast. So it had major climatological impacts. Um, but also, this is during a time period where, where agriculture... I mean, agriculture still in that region is a main livelihood source. So when you have multiple states mm. that cover an entire region with half the, the agricultural production that they've had prior, uh, you have major impacts on people's livelihoods that it's felt economically uh, more so than just the, the physical conditions outside. Uh, and it also severely drops the amount of food that's available. So mm. that was kind of our starting point for working on the current study was, you know, the, the effects of that were felt very strongly in that region mm. because of mm. the economic effects on the people who, who lived there and farmed there. Uh, but not even just the farmers, of course. There's always industries around that support agriculture um, and then towns that are reliant on the the revenue from the agricultural production. So there's, you know, there's a far-reaching effect. Uh, and there were effects throughout the country, too, as people left those regions and went to cities and, you know, put pressures on, on the labor markets elsewhere um, and, and migrated to different regions. But what we are interested in is what, what would that look like if that happened today? Exactly. When the impact would not be felt strictly within that region or even within the country because we have such an interconnection of but before, trade. But before we get there, Doctor, I mean, the question that automatically sort of pops up in my mind is, is it a case of we need to be worried because it is actually going to go further than just us? Um, should we be worried about the fact that this is actually going to have a global impact or is this something that will affect a couple of people or, you know, that it won't necessarily have this devastating global impact and that, I don't know, maybe South Africans would feel it for five years and then eventually people, I don't know, in, in, in Pakistan would feel it and so on and so forth. Or is this a global phenomenon that's going to hit us like a Mike Tyson, um, like a Mike Tyson punch? <laughs> uh, well, it, it, it kind of depends where, where such a production shock happens. Uh, mm -hmm. If a production shock for a, a food crop like wheat happens in the United States, then the impacts will be felt pretty immediately and quite widespread because the U.S. is such a large exporter of wheat. So if there's a change in production in the U.S., it's going to have huge consequences because so much of the global wheat trade is coming out of the U.S., specifically out of the U.S. Great Plains. Uh, but we could expect... You know, similar consequences if any of the main producers of a staple crop had a production shock. You know, this doesn't have to be the U.S. Great Plains. Mm. Uh, it could be any major producer of, of wheat. It could be a big production loss in, in Russia. It could be a big production, production loss in Australia. Uh, you know, there's other major producers uh, that feed a lot, of, a lot of product into the global marketplace. So... The, the effects spread around the world based on how central the affected country is to the, the system of global trade.
uh, so in this example, the U.S., especially in wheat trade, uh, is the one of the largest exporters in the world. So impacts to U.S. production would have pretty serious consequences mm. for all of the U.S. trading partners, which is 170 or so countries that, that import wheat from the U.S. But, but, beyond, but beyond that, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, um, uh, you know, and, and obviously if we go back to the 1930s, as you said, it was regional, it was within a specific geographic space that we saw the phenomenon of, of this dust bowl. But looking at current trends in terms of global climate change and what is happening uh, across this planet and, and, and the fact that, you know, uh, some economies and people are not willing to accept the fact that uh, global climate change is actually man-made and that it's because of carbon emissions and all kinds of other greenhouse gases and goodness knows whatever else that we, uh, you know, uh, letting into the atmosphere. The one thing that stands out for me automatically is then what is going to happen on a global scale? What is going to happen to this planet ultimately when we look at this um, uh, this this impending dust bowl is it going to be something that's going to hit particular regions again, or and the, those are the people that need to be worried, and maybe there's a knock on effect because we're in a more global space, or is this something that's going to be far larger, that it's not just going to hit one tiny piece of the U.S., but it's actually going to hit um, as as far flung as we can imagine. Um. So, in in some sense, both. So there are going to be consequences of climate change throughout the world. Those don't look exactly the same in every location, though. You know, some places will get drier, some places will get wetter, some places uh, will actually potentially see an increase in agricultural productivity as you know growing zones move further north as the mm. climate warms up. So places that might be too cold to grow crops now maybe will be able to. So. It is very dependent on where one is located in terms of the actual specific local consequences of climate change. But, as you mentioned, the effects of climate change on a given individual are not just the way that the local conditions are changing because we are so dependent on many countries throughout the world, depending on where you're located and what sorts of things you consume, those supply chains cover, you know, 100, 150 countries. So you could be in a place that maybe is not experiencing mm. really severe changes to the day-to-day weather that you're experiencing. Maybe you're not in a coastal area, you're not in a low-lying area, you're not somewhere that already has extreme heat, uh, you're not somewhere that's already... Uh, subject to periodic drought, so you feel, okay, I'm probably going to be fine, Mm. right? I'm not right next to the ocean, I don't get hit with cyclones, I don't really mind if it snows less, but even if you're, you know, part of this very, very small population that happens to be located somewhere where there aren't going to be any negative consequences to your lifestyle based on changes in climate, uh, your food is still coming from all over the world, uh, as are any sort of product that you consume. Mm, so mm. we don't really, you don't really get to think just locally now. Uh, so even if there is an effect 
on agricultural production just in one place, mm-hmm. which is honestly also the likelihood that there is a production shaft to multiple bread baskets simultaneously is also increasing as we have changing climates throughout the world. Right. Mm. So we could have a, a decrease in production in the U.S. at the same time that there's a decrease in production in China. And then this is, you know, a, an exponentially bigger problem as the, the global production goes down even further. But if we have, if we have these sort of effects, mm. even if they just affect one region directly, they will indirectly impact everyone. If the U.S. loses 50% of the wheat production, so the amount that it can trade decreases, Mm. then the price of wheat globally is going to increase. Uh, And that has far-reaching consequences in terms of people's ability to afford food throughout the world. But let's also be honest. Some of us are maybe a little more selfish than what we should be. Uh, Some of us don't care about the future generations to come. Some of us don't have children, so I couldn't care less. You know, I'm living my best life now, and I'm going to uh, let out as much uh, greenhouse gases as I possibly can or, you know, profiteer from that as well, etc., etc. The key question is, when are we going to feel this impact? When uh, are we going to start seeing this particular dust bowl starting to form and obviously the other consequences that come along with it as well? Um, well, I mean, you can, you can ignore the consequences, I guess, as long as you want. Uh, the, the real answer is that they are already here. Uh, there are already consequences on people's livelihoods and on the, the severity of storms throughout the world already mm. happening. Uh, so, so one can certainly choose to ignore them or choose to, for whatever reason, think of this as a, a far-off problem. Uh, but the reality is that it's, it's not. Uh, it's not a far-off, distant future problem. This is, this is here now, and it's, it's getting more severe day by day. This is not something that we can keep talking about in terms of, oh, I want to take care of the world for the sake of my grandchildren, uh, which has been a lot of the rhetoric mm, around mm. climate change in the past. Um, but I think um, this, when we failed to, to curb our greenhouse gas emissions, when we failed to, to take drastic measures, even when the science was there in the 1970s and the 1980s saying, hey, this is going to be a problem, we have to start making serious changes. We have to start switching our energy mm-hmm. sources. And we failed to do that, but instead went the opposite way and had greater and greater greenhouse gas emissions. Um, when we failed to do that, it, mm. it changed the timeline quite a bit. So these effects are happening now and during our lifetimes. Over the next 10, 20 years, we're going to see big changes, and we've already seen changes depending on where you live. If you live in the Pacific Island states, there's no one there who's, who's wondering when changes from climate are going to start happening, or if this is a problem that we need to worry about. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, based on your geographic location, you might have the luxury to think it doesn't seem that bad yet, yeah. uh, but that's, that's not the case throughout the world. There's, there's certainly people dealing with serious consequences of climate change already.
So as a final thought, uh, you know, on, on what we are discussing, you know, the one thing that always stands out for me, for me about this conversation is the fact that uh, this planet for, what, four billion years hasn't had human beings on it. We've only been around for, what, a uh, little more than or a little less than 200,000 years, and we've already had such a massive impact. So in other words, this planet doesn't actually need us. This planet has gone through multiple mass extinctions, um, and I think it's a bit arrogant of us to to think that uh, the the world is at stake or that the world is going to suffer. We all, in all likelihood, going to bounce, and we we going to be eradicated. And then, within what a couple of uh, within less than a million years, you know, we will see thriving life yet again. And, and and but without human beings, I mean, is that what the planet is ultimately telling us that you guys can literally go and I don't need you, and uh, everything else will still continue. <laughs> I don't know that the planet is telling us that. I do think that there's, there's something to be said for thinking of this as us protecting ourselves as much as we are protecting the planet. Um, so, so we're not, even, even though, you know, there's, there's something to be said for taking care of the environment for the environment's sake. Even if we didn't depend on it for our livelihoods, for our diets, for our health, uh, Protecting the, the natural environment and the, the beauty of the natural world uh, has its, its benefits. There are you know, non-measurable advantages or, or mm. positives to, to having a less destructive relationship with your environment. Um, mm. And then we also get a lot from, from, from access to, to clean, healthy, natural spaces. Uh, that maybe isn't as as easy to put a number on, but in addition to to just the in addition to you know protecting the world for for the sake of having having mm. access to something so magnificent, there is the very much self serving motivation, which is we need to take care of the the planet for our own sake because we require the things that we get from the natural world in order to survive, even if we don't think so because our jobs are, you know, on a computer and we don't really interact with the natural environment yeah. directly every day. Uh, we, there's no getting away from the fact that in, as individuals, we are all very dependent on having a, a healthy planet that we live on for the sake of, the human beings on it. Uh, we need it for our food. We need it for our air. We need it for our water. So, in the end, our you're you're right to say that our um, our motivation in taking care of the planet is should be also motivated by the fact that that we need it more than it needs us, for sure. Well, for sure. Definitely. Look, it was absolutely a stunning conversation. Um, hopefully people start taking this very seriously. As you said, that uh, uh, if, if we're not careful, this dust bowl would be up upon us before we manage to wipe our eyes. And, uh, you know, something as simple as bread that we take for granted would be in short supply pretty soon because uh, there isn't enough wheat. Uh, being grown for, for, for us to feed ourselves. But really, I really appreciate your, your chat this evening. All the best to you, Doctor. Thank you for the great work and hopefully people start listening at one point or the other. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Cheers. That was Dr. Alison Henlon. Uh, as I said, she, uh, you know, speaking to us on this impending dust bowl due to global climate change. And